0: Hello everyone and welcome to find Gay Porn. My name is Ike Grande and if you watch gay porn, I've definitely helped you get off. Ever wonder where poppers came from? Ever wonder why you see them on porn sets or you see them in video stores? Well today, we are talking to the author of a book called Deep Sniff. His name is Adam Smith. I came across him while I was doing this video about poppers and it's, it's a very, very informative and comprehensive look at the history of poppers. The book is called deep sniff, a history of poppers and queer futures. The author is Adam Smith, who is the guest tonight. I hope you enjoy. And one really quick note before I start the episode, my Instagram account was deleted. So if you've followed me on Instagram, I have a new account. It's called I, period, K, Grande. Be a lamb and follow me again. With that in mind, please enjoy this week's episode. Cheers. Everybody, please help me welcome Adam Smith, Smith, right? Smith, right. Smith, because <laughs> it sounds good in my mouth.
1: It sounds good, right? <laughs> sounds really good.
0: <laughs> Author and podcaster, your book, Deep Sniff, is about poppers. And uh, that's the reason why I wanted to have you on was because poppers are so embedded in gay porn history. So welcome.
1: How are you? Thanks very much. I'm I'm doing really good. Thank you very much for having me. No yeah. problem.
0: Thank you for thank you for coming on. I was doing a little research on on uh poppers because of you know we had spoken briefly before we got on, but there were a couple of models who were on OnlyFans who had bottles of poppers and they had to they had to edit them out basically. So mm-hmm. we're talking about people who've had a catalog of 200, 300 videos, and a 100 of them might have had poppers in wow. them, and they got taken down, and they have to figure out what to do. So wow. I, I thought it was very interesting. There is a crackdown going on. Here comes your book, Deep Sniff. <laughs> what, what got you interested in the subject?
1: Well, I just got interested in poppers as a subject because I got interested in poppers as a, as a pleasure, you know, uh, poppers was just a part of my sex life. And pretty soon after I started using poppers, I just felt like, wow, this, this is really good for me. You know, (laughs) this is really good in my sex life, whether I'm like with a partner or by myself and uh, I just really liked it. And I just noticed how lots of other people, especially gay men or queer people more broadly that I, that I knew or that I was sleeping with, use poppers, but not very many people knew very much about them, uh, about what this drug was, where it came from, why it's called poppers, how it became associated with gay life so much, and all those things. And so I guess as a writer. I just thought, well, that's something that's interesting. You know, the fact that lots of people know what this is, but they don't know very much about it. So I feel like there's stuff to find out there.
0: I did notice that in one of your tweets, I think, or you were retweeting, you said there wasn't a book on poppers, so I decided to write one.
1: I think actually what I said also was that I saw a hole and decided to fill it. <laughs> yeah, well, guys,
0: I'm, I'm glad you did because there is tons of history with with poppers in your research what did you find they were used for
1: angina relief you know um so but the the substance amyl nitrite was first synthesized in 1844 by a french chemist who was just playing around with all sorts of different substances and chemicals and he synthesized this This liquid which in vapor form was pretty smelly and it made him blush when he sniffed it and he couldn't really think of a use for it other than that. So um, it it kind of got handed down through a few researchers and through various different research papers with different people trying to uh, figure out what this was doing to the human body and maybe what it could be used for. And those researchers found that it dilates the blood vessels and lowers the blood pressure and that's what gives you this like head rush, uh, and maybe you might blush as well. And also um, that it's relaxing your muscles. Uh, I, I couldn't find a really early example of it particularly relaxing your, like, butt muscles, but... Um, but uh, the, the Victorian researchers, I don't think they quite got that far. Or if they did, then they didn't write about it and publish it. But that's for us to do in 2021, right? They had found those effects on the human body around about the same time that a doctor was trying to find a relief for the pain that his angina patients were suffering. Now, this doctor is called Thomas Lauder Brunton. And he's like pretty hot in a Victorian way, if you want to Google his picture. And he was treating a patient with angina and he knew that the problem was that not enough blood was getting to the heart and that was causing the pain in the patient. And so he just made this patient sniff amyl nitrite and uh, and it gave him a, um, a bit of a rush and it solved that problem momentarily. And so that doctor Brunton then wrote about this in the medical literature and began to popularize amyl nitrite as a relief from angina. And then it trickled into other medical uses as well about easing or relieving, easing suffering or relieving pain in one way or another. And that was kind of what the substance was used for, for like several decades up to the middle of the 20th century. And it was, it was then that it started to really, I guess, waft and pervade into sex, our sex lives.
0: You had mentioned in the book regarding as far back. Well, I, I'm, I might be skipping a little bit in the twentieth generation, the twentieth century, but the sixties and seventies and and disco and I I didn't mm-hmm. know and straight uh, clubs too. It wasn't just you know it wasn't oh yeah synonymous with gay clubs. Oh
1: yeah, I mean this. You know the seventies, well the sixties. First of all, especially in places like San Francisco and and New York uh, and London as well. Of course, were huge places of pleasure to do with music and dancing and gradual, gradual, well, f- and final like sexual freedoms for lots of different people. Not everybody, but there was this this, this huge awakening, and definitely by the seventies. And especially to do with gay culture in the 70s, you get the concentration of gay districts like the Castro in San Francisco and the Village in New York. Um, and in parts of London as well, around Earl's Court in the West, for in West London, for example, you get these huge concentrations of gay people, gay men. And the crossover between those cultures and and music cultures and nightlife cultures was, was huge, of course, because that's just how these things work. You know, people cross-pollinate with friends or with scenes and styles and whether it's to do with fashion or music, whatever. And so, yeah, there was uh, pretty much a uh, a, a really hot moment in the 70s for all sorts of different things. And that's one of the reasons why maybe, you know, uh, queer people like me are slightly obsessed with the 70s because it was this like real moment of liberation and and partying and hedonism uh, all before the darkness of, of the AIDS and HIV crisis in the 80s. And yeah, so uh, absolutely um, nightclubs that were trying to be like super cool were definitely pretty popular with poppers users, as well as like the cutting edge of music and things like disco, uh, when disco like really, really took off in the 70s.
0: This is before uh, Joseph Miller. Joseph Miller is a very important person in the poppers world or stratosphere let's yeah, say. Uh, but, yeah. B- well before we get into him how did people get their hands on poppers
1: so a lot of the time and this is still true in some places in the world people got uh, people in the us in the uk where the law is roughly the similar now is roughly similar now a lot of people got their hands on poppers or amyl nitrite by going into a pharmacy and saying i have angina or a heart problem please can you prescribe me or please can you actually sell me amyl nitrite and you didn't really need a prescription for that at first. Uh, I think the prescription requirement came in in the mid-70s, around about 76, when authorities, both in the US and in the UK, noticed that people were walking into farm ph- Basically, gay men were going into pharmacies and asking for amyl nitrite in, like, quite industrial quantities, <laughs> way more than you would expect from people uh, who had angina pain. And also, these were, like, different kinds of... Men, You know, these were not the people who were slightly older and more at risk of angina. These were like young gay men, basically, they were healthy. And so they were going into pharmacies and asking for this. And actually, I know that recently in Australia... Because there is a ban on poppers in Australia, uh, some people today do go to their doctors or their pharmacies and ask for poppers in that way by asking for the for the chemical substance and say it's a medicinal use. Some of them actually say to their doctor, this is to help me have sex. And that's a part of my healthy life and well-being. And if the doctor is, in my opinion, like sensible and uh, humane and compassionate, then they will Give that prescription, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, in the 70s, um, that was uh up until the late 70s when the prescription requirement came in. That was how people in places like the US and the UK got hold of them just by going into a pharmacy. The prescription requirement changed the game a bit, but also by this point, anyway. Companies had started to really manufacture poppers in huge industrial quantities and market them, brand them specifically uh, aimed at gay men, basically in in um, you know major cities like um, New York and and London. And that was when in in the mid to late seventies. That was when you, you you start to get the the brand names that we know, that are very famous with poppers, either in history or still today, like Rush and Locker Room uh, and TNT and some of these brand names. And that, that sort of started the trend of what poppers brand names became, which is why they're, they're often still called slightly ridiculous, bombastic names like that actually today, many of them.
0: Rush is one of the ones you don't forget. Platinum, right? I think, uh, what oh, yeah. what's that one called? I can't remember now.
1: Of course, there's all the different sub brands as well, like Rush XL and yeah, um, yeah Rush Platinum and oh, yeah, everything. And yeah, there's a, you could do a whole thesis on, on proper brand names and, and what it says about Uh, I don't know, human society. There's one called Oink. There's one called Lady Poppers. There's also, you know, Jungle Juice is a famous one, Everest, Wings. They're often often about like power. They're often trying to evoke power or like big things or big heavy things. I don't know whether that's also connected to sort of like masculinity or things like that.
0: Well, you know, if it was just called VHS Cleaner, I don't know how many people would pick it up and
1: Right. But actually, there is a new there is a relatively new uh, uh, poppers brand, I think it is just called VHS cleaner in a sort of like retro way, because obviously no one needs it for that purpose anymore. And not 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 that they ever worked for that. But that was calling poppers by generic names with a different use with an use that was explicitly not human consumption, like boot cleaner or VHS head cleaner. That was that was some of the ways that the manufacturers kind of skirted around with the law.
0: Okay, so two, two very important figures that you've studied after the, the, the scientists that discovered ammonium uh, nitrates, uh, Joseph Miller. And well, let's go with Joseph Miller first, because he's the one that started manufacturing poppers in, in the 70s. Right? Actually,
1: before Miller is W.J. Freezer, who started uh, Pacific West Distribution Company and Rush. And so he set up that company in 1976, the same year that uh, Apple Inc. was founded and Starbucks and Microsoft. I just think it's interesting to place that company in the same company actually in this, you know uh, among those different among those peers because uh, those brands and companies are super famous today and super valuable as companies and so is pwd you know it's still uh, it's still a company it's still making poppers but it flies under the radar <laughs> um it's probably not got quite the same valuation as apple which i think is like a trillion dollars or something not like trading that. but it's probably it's not, not trading on the poppers. it's probably yeah yeah it's not trading on the on the stock exchange I don't think you can buy stocks and shares. I bet, wow, I bet they could sell stocks and shares. Anyway, W.J. Freezer was uh, this um, really entrepreneurial character who created this company to manufacture Rush and distribute Rush. And it was obviously the, the, the preeminent Popper's brand. It was super famous, super important. And he knew exactly how to target the gay male clients, basically. He knew that it was important to be very targeted and specific about going to the gay newspapers and magazines, which were hugely important to our people at that time in the 70s. And in other decades as well, just because you know it's pre Google, it's pre Internet, it's pre mobile phone. You know, you, you get your information about what's going on in the community from newspapers and magazines. Uh, and so he um, he advertised for Rush and other poppers brands in those in in those gay newspapers and magazines, um, and all the way through the '80s as well into the '90s. Uh, Drummer magazine was one of the ones that actually the editor of Drummer magazine from the late 70s onwards has said that the money that came from poppers advertisers really really supported the business really supported drummer and drummer was this hugely important magazine in in the u.s for leather men but um well leather men and their cousins let's say and so and frieza was just really quite bombastic about the claims that he made about poppers and the scale of the market that he wanted for his product really you know he said they should be sold in Safeway alongside the shampoo and they should be advertised on daytime tv and uh, he also did uh, pretty cheeky things um, i mean cheeky is kind of a charitable word for it like inventing or creating a different company which would be a sort of medical research company which would do quote unquote research on on poppers in order to prove that they were not harmful and then he would cite that research from that other company which he had created in order to uh, convince journalists and people that poppers were not harmful so like that's a pretty dodgy business practice in my opinion i mean the harms from poppers are like relatively low especially compared to other substances and drugs and we can get on to that if you want but um but that was that was just one of the ways that shows i think just how tenacious freezer was in in pursuing this this market
0: i mean we have pharmaceutical companies that do that now we have other industries meat fat sugar (laughs) so he was yeah he wasn't it was dodgy yes but
1: yeah common but yeah i'm not saying that it's not common (laughs) i mean basically companies are just up, up to all sorts of things um skirting with the law and obviously we know you know often breaking it or doing things that they know will be illegal in the future when the regulators have got hold of them, that kind of thing. Um, But Frieza died in the mid-80s, I forget exactly the year, and the company passed into the hands of Joseph Miller, um, who was in Indianapolis, who was also manufacturing other poppers' brands and and continued to do so. And he... Was very different as a character. He was a much more kind of restrained type of person. He was very much a member of the business community in Indianapolis. I'm not sure whether everyone really knew what his business was, but there's, you know, you can find pictures of him in a suit and tie at sort of corporate events or corporate political events. You can find a picture of him meeting Bill Clinton. Uh, in the 90s. So that was when Clinton was president. And um, there's also the um, HIV testing center in Indianapolis is named after him because he made a donation there. So he made a lot of money and he died in, I think it was 2010, um, certainly well into the noughties. And so there are just two very different and distinct uh, characters that you might not have heard about, but that have actually been hugely influential and significant in uh, expanding the the reach of poppers really and building hugely influential brands
0: when miller dies uh in 2010 who is propelling poppers into the 20s? yeah
1: i th- that's a mystery to me and um so that company still exists and I, th- I i read online somewhere that miller's brother was in involved um probably as a next of kin because i don't think miller had a partner or or any uh, children and um, I'm not sure whether the brother kind of retained ownership of that company, but the company still exists and it's still manufacturing poppers. There's also uh, other companies now that are probably on the same scale. Buzzfeed actually did an article going into a poppers company recently, well, a couple of months ago, and um, actually interviewing the person who was running the company, and that was really rare to see that inside look in a company in a poppers. There was
0: a picture of the guy. Packaging, right? I think that that yes, oh, okay, yeah, yes, exactly. Okay, I yeah, that.
1: there's yeah because there's pictures inside the factory, and it's very unusual that a popper's manufacturer would give access to a journalist. I, I mean, I spoke to the journalist. Uh, he's called David Mack when he was working on the story, and he said that he had been quite dogged in his pursuit of uh, getting access to the company um but that he was still like absolutely gobsmacked when the guy just said yeah okay come come and visit the factory come and interview me because they're quite shy because they're dancing in this quite gray legal zone you know and so they don't really like to attract attention and some people from the industry said that this guy was really crazy for granting David access to that uh, the, the company. And also, I mean, the the headline writer of that article absolutely nailed it because they one of the things that you can't say in the UK and the US if you're making poppers is this is this is pop this product is poppers and you sniff it uh, as a human person and this is what it does to you. Like you can't kind of advertise it like that. So the headline writer for the Buzzfeed article said this man does not make poppers and so all the way through he's just saying oh i'm making odor i'm making room odorizer you know and this is a really curious legal situation that poppers are in that i find really really interesting
0: in that article too i think i read uh, a little bit about that where they pretty much sum up a good amount of what happens with poppers they appear in almost every adult bookstore that you can imagine and there's such a quantity. I'm, th- I'm thinking about the ones in New York when I pick up for uh, when I'm heading to a porn set or or Doring. If yeah. something happens, if a bottle falls and you have to replace it, yeah, yeah. All you see is you know. There's usually a cabinet. It's usually very very close to the uh, cash registers, and yeah. I would say about fifty brands of of poppers mm-hmm. just hanging yeah. out in front. Um, yeah. Legal loophole.
1: Yeah, the legal loophole is just that they can't be sold for human consumption. And so that means that um you don't see on the bottle instructions of how to use it safely. You see things like, you know, don't get this in your eye, don't drink this, but you don't have instructions on the bottle about how to sniff it and also the retailer can't tell you that either because they would be selling it for that purpose then so it's just really strange you know on other if you imagine other products in your house like you know the cleaning fluids or the bleach that you keep under your sink or in the closet that you know imagine if they could not legally say to you how to use this product safely you know, of course they have to do that. And so, but poppers are one thing where everyone knows how you're using it, but they're actually not printed on the on the label. And so they also can't be called anything that would make the buyer think that this could be for human consumption. That's why they're called historically things like VHS cleaner or boot cleaner or room odorizer is the common one today, or just aroma. Um, with So there's the idea that you're not going to actually be kind of ingesting this in your body in any way, uh, even just by sniffing the vapour. And so what's I think what's really interesting about this is how, like, basically, it feels to me like this might be the only product where the state, manufacturers, retailers, and buyers all know exactly what's going on. They know what these things are. They know how people are selling them. They know how people are using them and how people want to use them. But yet no one's saying that explicitly. And the state is saying... Mm, yeah that's okay and manufacturers are saying yeah that's okay because it allows us to keep doing what we're doing and no one really gives us unwarranted attention or regulation and of course users are saying well as long as i can go down to the adult bookstore and buy it or get some online then i'm happy too and that's not the case in other countries like canada where there's a ban or australia where there's a ban or other countries where which just have different legal situations but in the us and the uk that's the situation so like everyone's lying and everyone knows what's in plain sight uh but we're all sort of doing it anyway and i don't know i kind of i find that quite erotic actually you know there's something kind of a bit gay about it
0: if you think about it too pornography is kind of on the skirts of what's legal and what's mm-hmm. not so it's it's mm-hmm. kind of there's a correlation there while you were saying that i just i, I always think about the fact that the only thing that separates porn from prostitution is basically having a crew uh, shoot mm-hmm. what's going on because there's the extra yeah there's the exchange of money yeah at a certain point so the the porn production company acts as a pimp if you will you know and in, in, it doesn't in a less dirty way of saying it but if you break it down to a basic term or it's yeah, it's very interesting. So I, I,
1: yeah, of course. And like, like you said, like everyone knows, like there is totally a comparison because everyone knows this is happening. Some people don't want to think about it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to think about it. I mean, you know, good luck to those people. Um, And some people actually really get off on the fact that all of this is going on under the radar. Some people, you know, just really like the fact that they do something which is just not very publicly open but then also intensely extremely publicly open as well you know if you just know the right url
0: <laughs> before i get into I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your history of poppers but sure why are they called poppers
1: oh they're called poppers because when amyl nitrite was originally a medical R- relief for angina pain. It was packaged in these tiny glass ampules, so each hit would be like a tiny little bit of liquid in a tiny little glass pearl or ampule. Um, and because it's not the liquid that you want, and that's the thing that can like harm you if it touches you, it's the vapor that you want. You would crush this little ampule in your hand, maybe in a handkerchief or something to catch the liquid. And then the vapor would rise from it and you would sniff the vapor. But the act of you crushing that little glass ampule because it was a, like a pressurized thing would make a pop sound. And so that was how poppers got their street name when they transitioned from being a medical thing into a, like a sex thing and a pleasure thing was um, they were just, they were called poppers because they made a popping sound. And now, you know, generally they're manufactured and sold in these tiny little glass bottles and there's no popping sound anymore. Uh, but uh, but we still use that word poppers. So that's where it comes from.
0: What about the little... Um, there's always two little beads or something inside of them when you shake them.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with those. They claim to be helping it stay fresh, don't they? Fresher for longer. I'm not sure about that. Definitely, if you keep it in the fridge, it's going to last longer because... The thing about the liquid is that it's basically evaporating. It's, it's reacting all the time at room temperature and it's evaporating, uh, which is good when your bottle is open and it's underneath your nostril and you're, you know, having sex or something because that's what you want. You want the vapor to be evaporating and you want it to go into your nose. But generally, you know, you have to you keep the top on the bottle because you don't want it to evaporate into the room unless you want to odorize
0: your room oh boy uh,
1: but yeah <laughs> some people do that um it's like opening a bottle of red wine you know like half an hour before you're gonna drink it
0: i don't know about um. that <laughs> <But> I've, <laughs> I've had it fall on sets and everybody's just you know keeled over and they're just it's it's a lot <laughs>
1: it's a lot it's a lot
0: i guess it depends on the amount
1: Yes, that's true. And definitely, also, it depends what else it's mixed with, what other smells. Because, like, I've been in, like, sex clubs and stuff where you go in and you can smell the absolutely indistinguishable smell combi- of the combination of, like, sweat and poppers and maybe cum as well. And it's, like, both intensely sexy on the one hand and at the same time, like, kind of gross on the other hand or like, too much on the other hand. But that's, that's sex clubs for you
0: what was the first time you used poppers like
1: i did well i remember the first time i encountered poppers which was um i went i actually turned up to a hookup at with this guy that i had had sex with only once before and that hook and the second time it actually turned into a threesome which was a nice surprise because he invited someone else and they were sniffing poppers with each other and they offered it to me but i didn't know what it was i was pretty naive um I came to say sex like later than other people. And so I had this quite steep learning curve and um, a lot of things were surprising me in quite a short period of time. (laughs) I was like 29, 30 having sex for kind of the first time really and learning a lot and experiencing a lot. And, uh, and so they were sniffing poppers on that night and I just said no because to be honest with you like the two of them were like more than enough for me it was I was like fully stimulated so that was fun but then I did what I normally do which is like retreat into my like darkened room and like did my own research and thought about it and then and I bought some and must have tried some by myself I don't remember the exact first time but I remember thinking like oh, okay it's not not a big deal. Um, But then the first time, not long after that, when I really, really understood what they can do for you and what they can do for me was a New Year's Eve, actually, in 2017. And I was basically watching porn and wanking by myself at home and the fireworks were going off outside. And I found a Popper Beta video, which I had not seen before. And it was really intense And it was telling me when to sniff and it was showing me all these clips and it was playing me this dark techno music. And I just followed the instructions and I watched and I wanked and I sniffed and I had a great orgasm and the fireworks exploded outside. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. This is now a part of my sex life.
0: That is a great New Year's.
1: Yes, it was. And also like, I I like it because I (laughs) think I also feel like New Year's is something that you always have really high expectations of. And so I don't generally go out like I do. I'm very social. I do love partying and stuff. I just don't bother with New Year's Eve because it's like too much pressure. So this was like, I wasn't expecting anything from this night. And then that happened. And it was like, okay, great. And
0: you wake up and you're like, "It's it's a new year. It's a new me.
1: Exactly. It's New Year. It was nine a.m. New Year's. I've got the whole day. I can do some reading. I can do some work. Whatever.
0: I have to say that the the first time um I ever used poppers. Yeah, was tell me. Very similar uh, on my own. Uh, I had been. I, I've been doing. I've been working in the porn industry for. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fifteen years in in uh, two thousand twenty two, which is crazy. Right. You know, a lot of the videos that we were doing in the beginning, the company that I was working with were a little more extreme. So when you have fisting porn and stuff, that that's almost a staple yeah. for uh poppers is almost a staple for
1: people. Right. Because it's probably needed. Yeah. Yeah. To open you up. Yeah.
0: It, it probably wasn't the best experience because I would see people do too much of it to the point where their lips turn purple oh, yeah. and so that's oh, yeah. you know that, that's a lot. Yeah. And that's probably where you know, you get that idea that this might be harmful for you. If you overdo yeah. it, just like anything, it's going to be harmful for you. Exactly. Yeah. I think like two years into, into working for the company, I was in the office and I found them and I said, I kind of want to know what these guys feel. So that way I can tell them next time. I've done that with Viagra. I've done that with Cialis. all this stuff. You try it beforehand Right. and you can give, you're, you're not just giving it to these guys and saying, here, take this. It'll make you feel better. It's here, take this. It might flush you. It might do this. It might do that. Uh, But I did. I remember trying poppers uh, specifically just watching, you know, because because they don't really give you instructions on how to do it, but you just watch it and you do it. Yeah. Uh, So one one sniff to each nostril and then within 10 seconds, I would say it's almost like your world. Everything around you, it's kind of like putting Mm. those new AirPods in your ear everything just kind of centralizes in you like, yeah, noise canceling basically. And you you hear your heart beating and it's just, and and you're like, wow, this is really intense. When is it going to be over? That was my first, that was the first time. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And yeah, it's going to be over in like five seconds.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It really, um, it really, it was interesting. I'll say that. And I didn't really start, I didn't, I never really bought a, a personal bottle until i remember i was dating somebody and i had to bottom and i was like i don't know if i can do this so i remember i remember always seeing these models a lot of what i learned is from watching porn and the models and talking to them and stuff Mm -hmm. how to clean out how to prepare how to do this i remember thinking okay i have to bottom i have to buy a bottle of poppers and, you know, I was, right. I was a big old mess that night, but <laughs> you know, it happened. It right. worked. <laughs> um, yeah. You. Um, well, we had spoken about this. You had uh, mentioned before, it's not every day you get to talk to somebody who works in the, in the porn industry. Um, right. Is there anything you would like to know about how poppers is used on a porn set or?
1: Yeah, I would. I would like to know exactly that, you know, how, um, how much are they used in on porn sets and, um, and and how exactly uh yeah tell me more
0: again i think for fisting that's when that's when i never really saw it on uh one on one dick penetrating ass sex yeah uh i did see it more for fisting um then eventually yeah. like around 2013 2014 that's when i kind of saw the bottles a little more uh mm-hmm. for just uh, any kind of sex scene there was a period of time where models did not want you to shoot them putting a Mm. uh, a popper's bottle up to the eyes.
1: i was wondering that because it's not often that you actually see it in porn especially not like pro porn like amateur stuff kind of you see it more but you hardly i've hardly ever seen it in well
0: yeah pro porn studio porn is interesting when it comes to california because you don't see lube Mm -hmm. you know it kind of everything just magically happens you know
1: yeah, yeah.
0: The studio I work for is Studio Porn. However, because they've been around, Treasure Island's been around for like twenty something years, you know, and it's been oh, yeah. the the subversive studio when it comes to um, a little bit of everything, like just showing you everything. So, uh, if I've ever seen yeah. a popper's bottle, it's been there or Raw Fuck Club or uh, you know, yeah. The percentage of models that used it at the time when they were trying to hide it was about eighty five to ninety percent, and then now wow. now they just they kind of just you can record it. Um, I got into the habit of asking them if it was okay mm. for me to record them doing it. Uh, yeah. Kind of because you, if you're doing it, you kind of want to see it. You know, I can understand, yeah. you know, there's nothing sexy about a lube bottle, but if you are, yeah. unless it's like, you know, that J lube that people are using for other stuff, yeah. I think there's something very, yeah, there's something magical about J lube. Cause it's so like sticky and <laughs> you know, the way it's made. And but stuff, I think-
1: yeah. And I think that you're right, though, that increasingly we have come to see that lifting of the hand, that closing of the nostril as like a sexy thing. I mean, it definitely is for me. And I wonder whether it's the same for people that actually don't sniff. Maybe not, but or maybe less so. But I definitely see that as being like actually quite a sexy A sexy thing and for me like it's really sexy i'm just going to put in a request now for the next shoot yeah sure like it's it's really sexy when like the guys like help each other to sniff (laughs) like you know one holds the bottle to the other and that's just a thing for me in sex anyway like when you're like physically supporting the other person sometimes um and or, or vice versa or whatever that just that just really turns me on so yeah like helping someone to sniff their poppers like is a real turn on for me so i love it when you see that in porn do you think that we're going to see that kind of thing more and more
0: i i think that you know when it comes to studios they have they have pretty much last say in what goes into their um into their movies when it comes to only fans or just for fans or anything like that yeah the only thing you have to do is basically um strangle their income and when, you know, all the big credit card companies started uh, saying, Hey, yeah. we're not going to allow this because of this regulations tighten. and people are like, Hey, we're not gonna, we don't want to see it. So we, yeah. possibly yeah. I think, you know, Treasure Island and studios that are smaller, amateur porn studios and stuff um, will just yeah. put it up. Um, but I don't know if it's going right. to, especially now. I mean, I think Boston, there's a couple of other states that do ban. Uh, the sale of yeah. poppers uh, oh yeah you, you know what and while we're getting into that I was curious there was a theory and you know it is a theory it's a conspiracy theory it's uh, Duesenberg I think Peter Duesenberg who in the 80s I, I almost feel kind of shitty bringing it up but it's also a part of poppers history because mm-hmm. this man was yeah. blaming the AIDS crisis on uh on nitrates
1: yeah yeah, it became like a big deal in the 80s and you can imagine I mean you could I I'm I was born in 84 so I'm not old enough to remember what it was like to live during that time um especially like as a queer person but you know obviously everyone was 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 worried and panicking and was trying to find the cause of this problem first you know before we'd identified the virus and and the transmission and stuff and so out of that that panic in a way came this correlation, which was that uh, just like how at first the correlation was like, hang on a minute, like most of the people who are getting sick and dying are like young gay men um, men having sex with each other. And they're otherwise healthy. So there was that correlation made, first of all, which is which is true, because we know kind of how it was transmitted and everything. Um, And then within that correlation, there is the correlation that, well, hang on, a lot of these young gay men that are getting sick and dying also sniff poppers. And many of them sniff a lot of poppers. And so actually it it for some you can see how. Some people would say, maybe it's the poppers that's causing this, or maybe it's the poppers that is somehow harming your immune system, which means that you're more likely to, to contract HIV. Um, you know, obviously, again, also associated with literally the the amount of sex that you are having um, and your exposure, therefore, uh, to the virus. And so, um, so basically, within this whole mix, in this whole panic, there was poppers and some scientists and doctors were claiming that oh it looks like it could be this it could be this drug that's causing this and then the virus was uh, identified and then the test for the virus was um w- was brought out and then people became more and more familiar with exactly how it's transmitted and that it's a blood-borne virus etc cetera, etc cetera. and so gradually the um, the the guilt, if you like, of poppers or the, the, the alleged guilt of poppers like faded away as we understood more and more about the virus and how it was transmitting between people. Um, but that was also after some people had started to campaign to say it's poppers that's causing this. Um, gay men are addicted and obsessed with poppers and they need to stop because it's killing them. Um, and then they, th- those kind of voices actually carried on even after the um, that, that alleged guilt had fallen away, you know, and, and once we knew more about the science and, and this, that and the other. And some people carried on campaigning like that. And there's two that I write about in the book, um, Hank Wilson and John Lauritsen, who were heavily associated with a, a, a campaign against poppers in the US and, and the UK. They actually... Um, made a little bit of progress in the UK as well. And you can see kind of like, you can empathise at the start, you know, in that panicked moment of like trying to find what the hell is going on. But, uh, But I have to say that they did kind of continue pursuing this, you know, long after we knew really what the problem was. And so then it becomes, it potentially becomes like a matter of prejudice. And then also that movement got involved in the, the whole movement of like denying that AIDS even exists or that HIV is the cause of AIDS. And that leads to huge problems, you know, even at the level of like the country, like in South Africa, in the, in the, in the late nineties, you know, the president um, denying and all of that. So you can see how these things are connected. And of course we're all living through that now, with a different um, virus um, and different things about how people, uh, how people are worried about this and how that leads them to create certain ideas and you know and so on. So yeah, Popper's like have that moment in the eighties and into the nineties. Um, it was it was problematic, really. So yeah.
0: controversial, so controversial yes. that Popper's have have become. <laughs> right, have and been. also
1: it's what's what I guess is the se- this is this is true of Popper's and it's true of sex, especially you know uh, i don't know non-normal sex non-normative sex whatever like that that there's always a moral panic just waiting around the corner about ready to explode you know so poppers have had several moral panics like this one that we just mentioned with the hiv even though you could say it's not really a moral panic it was a completely justified panic but it became a moral panic because basically people were saying about poppers use that it's immoral to do it in the same way that some people were saying it's immoral to have gay sex right and in the uk there were like raids on bars that were selling poppers and the poppers were seized and the bar people were arrested and stuff like that Um every couple of years you know some kid at a festival will drink a bottle of poppers and and, and die and then suddenly there's a moment where everyone's like oh my gosh what is this horrible thing that teenagers are doing and that they're killing themselves in like great numbers and they're really not it doesn't tend to happen but it's the same with sex you know every so often there's um there's a panic about a different kind of sex or a new kind of sex uh or anything to do with the lgbt plus community you know it seems like the rest of society is just always waiting for every six months there to be a new reason to pile on us and to tell us that we're wrong uh, and so i suspect that that'll happen again with poppers um i'm sure like even now it's happening in a way like you said about um that Pornhub is trying to clear up clear up and also only fans trying to clear up uh, are using clear up in like inverted commas um lots of the content and that is to do with like morality there's always moral sex and immoral sex uh it seems rather than just sex.
0: <laughs> in porn, it'll probably stick around for a little bit, like I said, with with bigger studios that have the last scene yeah. in, in what goes on their videos. And I mean, like, look, I'm not going to say it's the backbone, but it's very close to just like the pharmaceutical industry is with Viagra and Cialis mm-hmm. and everything else, mm-hmm. um Cavage Act and all that stuff that people put in their, their dicks to stay hard. And I know that's that's a little demystifying because of the fact that, you know, that all these guys don't don't just get hard (laughs) uh, immediately. But then again, you know, you have to also give them credit because they're having sex in front of four or five people um, unless they are into it. I remember specifically maybe two years ago going to a bar and seeing 21 year olds, 22 year olds. They're they're now embracing poppers, but on the dance floor and women.
1: I actually noticed it more and more on the dance floor here in in london i live in london uh in the uk and i did notice it more and more and also i like to do it when i'm when i'm out dancing and um and i thought that i had noticed that a bit more and then the pandemic stuck and we couldn't go out dancing for at least 18 months here um and now over the past few months since the nightclubs have returned and people have been going dancing again. I've definitely noticed. I mean, I also have to say that I'm slightly biasing this sample because, like, if I'm in a nightclub with my friends, like poppers are going to be present probably, and so it's not. It, so it's not only you don't don't take my word for it that when I say that. Oh, there's this trend of people doing it in the nightclub. But I was at an event last week, um, a book talk like this one. Uh, it was a physical event. There was about forty people in the room, and I we talked about this and i just asked the room i said like what and this was in a different city to where i live by the way this was in manchester in the north of england and i just said like has I, do, what does everyone else think about this have you noticed whether there's been more poppers on the dance floors recently and the age in the room was probably from like 20 to 40, 45, something like that. And basically lots of people were nodding their heads and they said that they had seen more and more poppers on the dance floor now. So I feel like we're kind of like, we're, we're having a roaring 20s, you know, um, or or a absolutely very, very high and horny 1970s all over again. And so I think that's what's going on, on the dance floors, which it's really great because you get to... You get to pass it around with friends and you're dancing and like, I don't know um, about you, but like, you know, sometimes some of my friends and I will kiss because we get like a bit high and a bit horny and it's really nice when you're dancing and, you know, all of that's all good fun.
0: Give me a little promo. Give me a little plug about your book. Where can people find it? Yeah. All that fun stuff. Where do people find you?
1: Yeah, the book is called Deep Sniff. A History Hold that sucker up! And- Hold that
0: sucker up! Let's see it.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Here it is. I gotta say, yeah, the book is "Deep Sniff: A History of Poppers and Queer Futures." Uh, I'm Adam Smith, and my Twitter handle is Adam Smith my real name is smith but what are you going to do with that so i just changed the s to a z uh, so it's just adam smith uh, that's my twitter handle and my um, my dot com as well and you can buy the book in like any good bookshop uh, any good bookshop basically um online in um, the big obvious ones or uh, from your like local independent bookshop which i would recommend or bookshop.org uh, which is doing amazing things for selling books via independent publishers uh, and independent retailers but um but uh, they're sending them to you as well so yeah you can buy the book um, in all of those places i have not yet managed to have a collaboration or a brand partnership with a poppers company because they're quite shy about uh, doing that kind of thing <laughs> so get in touch if you want to do a a, a brand co- collab <laughs> um and yeah so that's me adam smith and the book's deep sniff uh your podcast
0: what's your podcast called
1: Oh, my podcast is called The Log Books. I've actually got a thing to show about that as well. Here we go. It's The Log Books. It is stories from Britain's LGBTQ plus history and conversations about being queer today. And we use a very unique archive that goes back to the 70s to explore some untold stories from Britain's uh, queer history. Yeah, The Log Books. And you can get it wherever you get your podcasts.
0: There you have it, guys. Podcaster and author of Deep Sniff, Adam Smith. Um, Thank you so much. I absolutely appreciate you being here. I think uh, people will definitely enjoy this. I encourage you to look at the comments like you said. And uh, yeah, Demystifying Gay Porn, it's available on every podcast as well. It's available on YouTube. And my name is Ike Grande. I'm your host. And if you watch gay porn, I've definitely helped you get off. Cheers.